0: Guys, welcome to the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Today, I've got my friend Cliff Gray of Flat Tops Wilderness Guides and True Hunts on the line. Cliff, how you doing?
1: Good, Jay. Thanks for having me again. man.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. I'm actually down here in Florida. Uh, my wife and I got down here on the 13th of February, and. I'm going to try and get an Osceola turkey here this coming week, and so I'm kind of excited, but I've gone fishing a couple times, caught a a spinner shark, and uh, caught a big Jack Craval. I went on two different trips and uh, had a ball. I've never been to Florida, so we've kind of bounced around here. We were in um, Delray Beach, and we were in Jupiter and Palm Beach, and then we went to the Keys, and now we've kind of been over on the Gulf Coast over in the Naples area and um florida as, as you know clip you've been down here Florida's a really neat place um especially if you like fishing um it's you know a fishing mecca if you will uh but yeah i know you've spent some time down here what are your thoughts about florida
1: yeah no same thing i like i was telling you it's uh to me it's kind of an underrated uh underrated place particularly this time of year so i imagine uh I imagine it's fun to be out there, and I've been following your Instagram and stuff, and I can't believe, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but what's the, what's the fishing podcast, Jay? Um, I I love the 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 millhouse. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so I've fishing with Andy, that was phenomenal, um, he took me shark fishing, and, you know, he's the tarpon guru, I think he's won, like, five gold cups, and he's known as literally the, probably the best saltwater fly fisherman ever, and. Um, for him to take me shark fishing with, was well, fantastic.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I and I saw that. And it's funny because I would say like if if somebody wants to uh, get stuck making a trip to Florida, they should start listening to those guys' podcast. Because just you know, just, oh. just cause a lot of, a lot of the guys are from Florida, and uh, yeah. it's I love it, man. They they do a good job. And like you know, Jay, I'm not I'm not a massive fisherman. I don't have like a you know, that's not, like, my, my main passion in life by any means. But when you listen to that, it's like, man, maybe I could get into this a little more.
0: Yeah, I mean, after being here, too, uh, you know, and just going down to the Keys, and I didn't fish in the Keys because it's really not, like, the prime time for tarpon and, you know, bone fishing stuff right now. Um, but, you know, those guys will come down more in May and June when the tarpon fishing is really good. You know, after being down there, I can see how they're just junkies, and I can see how Andy's, you know, basically done it for the last 30 years, and it's been a huge part of his life, and and I agree with you. Um, anymore, the Millhouse podcast is really the only podcast that I listen to. Um, a lot of it has to do with time, but um, and you know, a lot of the stuff they're even talking about, I don't even... It's I don't even know what they're talking about, but they they have some great guests on, very intriguing. Andy does a great job, um, and Nikki with the interviews. Um, so, yeah, anybody out there listening, check it out. Mill House Podcast, it's on iTunes. And uh, Andy Mill, actually, pretty cool story. He a two-time Olympian, um, born and raised in Aspen, Colorado. Not born, actually, moved there, I think, when he was one or something, but uh, was an incredible kind of u.s ski story and as most skiers had quite a bit of injuries and stuff but uh, you know a heck of a guy and and um you know he's kind of been good at everything that he does and his son nicky's the same way his, his son nicky's mom is chris evert um you know the famous you know tennis player wimbledon the whole, whole nine yards and he's good at everything he's a good golfer he's a good you know fly fisherman he's he's pretty much good at everything he's, everything he does. So those guys are a lot of fun. Cliff, um, I want to talk to you today because I think we've got a Colorado application deadline on the 6th of April that's due. And for all the listeners out there, I apologize. I got so busy with some real estate stuff that I'm working on and and traveling down here to Florida. I completely shined um, the Utah applications and, and interviewing some outfitters and such. So for that, I'm sorry. But Cliff, you're kind of the first guy here that I'm going to talk to about Colorado. Um, we've got an app deadline of the 6th. Uh, any, any big changes that you saw in the regulations? And I know you do such a good job on your websites and stuff about uh, and, and encourage people to check out, you know, all your recommendations for some of the different animals. But anything jumping out at you as new um, in these applications? Yeah, so as as far as, you know, things that affect
1: the, you know, my region of Colorado and, you know, the, the units that, you know, kind of these mountain units, it, the change, like big changes to the regs were actually, it was, it was pretty light on that, particularly compared to last year because there's quite a few different things they changed with refund policies and all that, you know, those like more of the administrative side of things. They didn't change a lot. As far as I know, probably the only one, that would be of interest to folks is they did change kinda how they're how they're putting tags on the leftover list. And not necessarily like the the first go of the leftover list, like after the draw, but more whenever tags are reissued. So in the past they kinda did it they've tried several different ways of doing it where they trying to get some fairness to it but what they would do is if somebody returned a tag, they would kind of randomly put it back onto the, the leftover list, so people had to kind of monitor that, and then if a tag popped up on there, um, they could call and buy the tag. Um, and they've, they tried that, and I think what happened was is there's been kind of some people that developed, like I, think, I know there's actually been some little programs that people developed and some apps that would like, you know, those tags would pop up real quick, and I think they kind of felt like that was unfair. Um, and so they set up a new leftover list policy on those reissued tags. And now what it is is they're going to put them all up as like a preview on Tuesday, on Tuesday and then on Wednesday at 11 a.m. they'll all go on sale at the same time. And so that's really the only change that I think will affect people that, that monitor that and are always looking, looking at Colorado as like a, you know, is a, a, you know, plan B or C type of deal, and they're always looking at the leftover list, you might just kind of want to make sure you understand that change. Um, Other than that, uh, it hasn't changed that much. Uh, You know, small little things that I noticed, it looks like to me they're going to put out the sheep and goat uh, draw results earlier than they have in the past. They're saying they're actually going to be out on April 20th, which would be nice. Uh, In the past, it's like, you know, they were kind of randomly coming out in, may or whenever and then the, then i think last year they were like early may and they actually set a you know a, a range of dates they thought it was going to be and then this year they're saying april 20th so um that's a nice change um the results for deer elk those will be out i think like the last week in may and they they're just putting a range on that but other than that there's honestly not there's not a lot of big administrative things i mean you know i think probably Maybe the other thing that people will notice is that they're starting to, particularly on deer, but elk also, they're doing more and more mandatory uh, CWD testing. So, you know, that's kind of across the book, and depending on what unit you're hunting in, you might have to deal with that. But other than that, that's really about it, uh, Jay.
0: Cliff, um... We're going to end on uh, elk and mule deer. I kind of want to start out with um, goats and sheep uh, and talk about uh, some of the units. And and I know you really like both sheep and goats. Uh, Your primary outfitting has been elk and mule deer, but you also guide for goats and sheep. Uh, What is your level of, um, I guess, you know are you going to be planning to take some sheep and goat hunters this year and talk a little bit about uh that and some of the uh units uh for people to check out
1: sure so um as in years past i'm guessing that we'll probably do somewhere between three to seven goat and sheep hunts and just kind of depends on you know who draws a lot of times Nowadays, a lot of the guys that we're guiding are people that we've guided in the past, but we'll we'll take new hunters too. But it just kind of depends on who who draws what and who calls us first. We don't we can't do that many because they're all kind of overlapping. You know what I mean? But I'm sure we'll we'll do some. Um, and I've got you know the on the goat side of things. I think it's I mean on both species, people way underestimate. You know the value of a little research, at least, because if you keep putting in for the same unit that you have for the last twenty years, um, it's actually actually. I mean, you could be hurting yourself way more than you than you think. Um, goats, in particular, Colorado has this like this deal going on now where uh, several of the biologists are wanting to suppress goat populations in certain areas, and what what that does is in the short term it leads to, like, you know, really good opportunity in units, but also if you're on the tail end of a unit that's doing that, you got to understand that the hunt might be a little bit harder than it has been historically. Um, so that's just something for people to keep in mind. You really should watch, you know, w- what they're doing with those quotas. Like, for instance, like, if you take the maroon bells that you're familiar with, Jay, like, you know, they're... Um, seven or eight years ago, they had, like, I want to say they had, like, ten tags. And then for four or five years now, they've been putting in, like, 30 tags, right? So it's, like, a, you know, a massive increase. Um, And not to say that there's not a healthy population of goats there still, but that hunt is getting a lot more difficult, and that terrain makes it so when those goats get harder to get to, a lot of them are actually basically impossible to get to. Um so just something to consider. And then you've got other units. Like one of one of you know, guys are gonna hate for me to say this, but it's it's a good unit right now. If you look at G six, which is right here outside of Vale, um and we've guided it in it several years. That unit, I mean, three years ago they had like three tags and this year I think they've got Fifteen or sixteen—I I don't know if I'm counting the, the non-resident tag or not in there—but fifteen or sixteen tags. So they've literally, they've literally quadrupled it, plus, right? Just but, but what you're saying more. with
0: that clip, though is, if you let it go for three or four years and are on the back end of fifteen tags and you're forty-five, you know, goats behind, you get you get hosed because you, you know the quality diminishes. Um, but if you're on the front end of it, you can actually weigh up your odds of, of drawing because they've, you know, raised the tag amounts. If you can get on the front end, you're going to do a lot better. Yeah, exactly,
1: particularly from it, it, from, the, from the draw perspective. What, what you see in goat units is when they – I don't know why they do this, but they always, like, do these spurts of tags. Like, it's not like they just add one more. I mean, they do a little bit of that, but a lot of times it's like they go from three – to ten in like you know, just one year. So almost always, what will happen is the number of applications for those tags it never it never uh, coincides with the with the increase in tags. Right. So when you get a big jump in tags like that, your odds usually get way better. At least for a couple years, um, they almost never catch up. I mean, if you look at how many apps, like in a unit, and this is just anecdotal but I've seen this happen a lot. like in a unit where they triple the tags, maybe the number of applications will double usually they'll only go up like like 50 60 70 you know percent or so. Um, so you get a massive uptick in your in your chances of drawing a tag and usually they're bumping the tags up because you know they they basically, uh, what, what happens is when they bump these tags up on goats, they didn't know any better. I think if they were being honest, they would say this, Jay. They didn't know any better, and then they flew it a couple times, and they started to find where the goats were, and they realized there was three times as many goats as they thought there were, and so they'll bump the tags up a bunch. So goat hunters should, I mean, obviously, the little downside of that is that you're going to be hunting with more people around, but generally when there's a new burst of tags, that's an opportunity to, to draw one. Um, so you should watch out for that. And then, like you say, you know, once they've been doing it for four or five years, you got you got to be a little bit you – want,
0: you want to really do your due diligence and make sure it hasn't deteriorated a ton. Makes sense. Um, what are some of the units, a uh, handful of units that you would tell guys to, that are good opportunities for, for quality billies and then, what are some of the units that you would say maybe have dropped in quality over the years?
1: Yes, yeah, so I would say I would say G6 is going to be a good unit this year, and it's probably got uh, you know it may only have a couple more years of of good hunting in it, given the tags. So that would be one of my top picks. G3, so G3 used to actually be uh, it's actually. G, it's the historical G three plus G thirteen, so it's actually a very large unit, and it's got a ton of goat habitat in it. So that's still one of my favorites, G three. Um, so that would be my second bet favorite, and then, you know, if you're it, still if you're very if you're if you're open to a backpack hunt, and you're not afraid of really you know hairy terrain, you know the bells is still a good tag that G twelve tag. I would say that, in my view, it's deteriorating some, quite a bit, but if you can get in there and, you know, do a five-, six-day backpack hunt, you're still going to get into goats, and there's some good billies still hanging around. I would say, you know, like a unit that's deteriorated a lot is G17, so that's north of G3, you know, that's like Mount Massive, um, it's all the north side of Independence Pass. I would say that the goats in there have been, been hammered to almost, almost non-existent in a lot of the a lot of the historical areas. So that one I'd be real precarious with. Um, and then it seems like even G2 to the south of G3, it's not as good as it used to be. Um, and it's it's still a good unit, but for the draws, I think you're probably better off with a couple of these other, other units. Um, and that and then a lot of the other units, like on the front range, Jay, like 16, 4, and 15, those units, I don't actually... I don't guide over there, uh, and I don't spend a lot of time over there, so I really, I really couldn't tell people if there, if there's anything they should be concerned with there.
0: Sounds good. Um, let's bump over to sheep and talk about uh, sheep and what you're seeing going on there in Colorado and some of the units for for bighorn.
1: Yeah. So w- the one thing that people should uh, consider that, uh, particularly if they've been just you know kind of on autopilot applying. Is for better or worse a bunch of a bunch of tags in in some of the some pretty good units too were actually taken from 2020 and they were shifted to 2021. So kind of in a I haven't seen the CPW do this very often, but they actually let a lot of the hunters that had 2020 tags roll them over to 2021 because of the fires. So like the canyon, the the canyon here, uh, Glenwood Canyon. Um, and that's on a lot of people's radar because they're big sheep and they're accessible. Um, well, I shouldn't say they're accessible, but they're, you, you can see them right off the highway part of the year. So that, that, for instance, that unit, it doesn't have any tags this year because they let those guys roll, roll their tags over. And there's several other units. I know S1 is like that and S57 uh, is like that too. So just if you've been on autopilot, you're going to have to, you're gonna have to uh, consider putting in for a different tag just because of that. Um. Again, like the the sheep units are are kind of similar. So I mean, I'm a little biased here because I'm you know I know my local units better than others. But I would say S2, which corresponds overlaps a bunch with that G6 unit we just discussed. I think that's a good opportunity, but it's only a good opportunity for somebody who and there's a non-resident tag in there but it's got to be somewhere that's open for a backpack hunt. Like, you can't, it's not a horseable area, or the, I guess, you can take horses in, but the advantage you get with horses is basically going to be taken away by how hard it is to take care of them in there, uh, just because you're going to be able to have Kimberline the vast majority of the time. Um, if that's not for you physically, 59, which is the the unit I live in and has a bunch of the flat tops in it, um, that um that's still a good unit for people, I would say, that there's not a lot of quality in it right now. It's kind of like a little micro herd of sheep. I, for the most part, know um, all the little groups of rams in there. Um, not to say that people aren't going to be able to kill, like, a representative ram, but there's no, you know, 175-plus type of sheep in that whole unit. Um, where I, You know, I could be surprised, but I would guess there isn't. So those are the two units I know really well here locally, um, and, in those are my thoughts on those the ones i've guided for other guys are still you know kind of i don't think they've changed a lot like along the collegiates s11 is probably my favorite um s66 is it, it, x66 if you want to go guide it is a little iffy because there's not a lot of guys that can hunt both sides of, or guide in both sides of the unit but if it's it's a good do it do it yourself hunt um and then a lot of those other units in there, like S-12, is on everybody's radar. It's hard to draw. Um, in my opinion, if you're really wanting to draw a sheep tag and you want to hunt those big mountains in, the, in that Fort Kingers, S-11 to me is probably, probably the better better unit. Um, you know, the, the, the sheep deal, well, and the goats too, um, I, I actually – Put an article up it's on our blog i think it's fairly easy for people to find it jay but i went through well myself and then one of my guides we went through how the actual odds of drawing these tags break down and if anybody's really interested in that um i i encourage them to check it out because it's actually fairly complicated and overall for sheep and goat tags 90 percent of people have they have no clue how hard it is to draw a tag. They always even, they don't realize when you got like 20, 25 points, if you're putting in for the hardest tag or hardest units to draw, you're still more likely to never draw them than to draw them. Um, And so people got to kind of think about that, you know, unless they're just dead set on hunting the biggest sheep in Colorado or the best goat country they're probably gonna to have to make some compromises if they want to have a realistic chance of drawing one of these in their lifetime.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things I get messages all the time with guys they're saying, you know, I'm, you know, forty years old and I've got, you know, this many points and how long till I get a tag and, you know, whether it be whatever state they're talking about, and I'm I try and I'm like, well, you're not even close to max points. You know, you could never draw a tag in any of those states. Do you understand that? And they—they they really don't. They don't understand how long the odds are. And then, on the same, in the same breath, I'll have someone send me a message, and you know, they drew with, you know, whatever state it might be, with very little points, or you know, my daughter drew with two points, and and so it's crazy. But the reality is, in all these states, you have to just keep applying, and and you have to play the odds, you know, and use those odds to the best of of to give yourself the best chance that you can.
1: Right. Yeah. And I, I think, in you know, what I tell guys Jay, is, it doesn't really. I don't really care, you know, like if is I don't you know I don't have a judgment about how pe- if people just want to hunt all the. You know, you know, have a really good chance of drawing a hunt. You know, let's say a sheep unit, and then they're just, you know, they're going to have a hard time killing a big ram that unit because they just don't exist there. If they want to do that, that's fine. Um, and obviously their odds are going to be better. And then if they're dead set on only hunting a unit where they can real, they have a decent chance of killing a 180 inch plus ram. I don't care if they want to do that either. But you got to understand, like how how. You, you got to understand the odds that coincide with that. Like, right. if it, and I get a lot of guys that call me like on particularly big Rams. and it's like, you know, I, I mean, I've had guys, you know, that have thirty, you know, high twenties and thirty points, and they think that it's inevitable that they're going to draw. But if you really look at the stats, it's more likely that they're going to die with their points than draw that. You know, I'm not saying I'm not saying don't keep doing it, but just be realistic about that. Like, if you want a chance to kill a real big ram, yeah, obviously you need to keep putting in for those units, but you also should probably start, like, you know, make sure you're applying for all the other units in Montana or Wyoming or whatever that have the chance of producing that, too, you know. I think it's just as long as people kind of know what's going going on, um, it it usually surprises people uh, what their odds actually
0: are, you know. For sure. Before we get into the deer and the elk, um, I know that you do quite a few bear hunts. I want to get your take on the bear situation in Colorado and the bear situation around your neck of the woods with that Grizzly Creek fire uh, and, you know, Glenwood Canyon, that big, massive fire, um, how that's going to play or impact the bear hunting that you have, and if guys are interested in bear hunts, um, I don't know what you're, what you've got going. Do you, are you looking for bear hunters? Do you have opportunities for bear hunters this year coming up?
1: Yeah, so I, I think we've got one or two spots still open in in 2021, um, and then we have a quite a bit of availability in 2022 for bears. Um, so the overall like macro look on bears in Colorado is you know bears and and the other predators, that they, I, I would say that almost all of them are doing fairly well. They're probably doing better than our than our, you know other game species. Um, you know, our, our bear hunting last year was was good. It, you know, we've had better years, we've had worse years, but I mean, the for just spot for for to have the the level of success we have on just spot and stock bear hunts, which like. 15 years ago, you mean your success on a spot and stock bear hunt in Colorado w- would have been like 10% or something like that, you know, Jay? Now you're talking like 70%, 80%, you know, on a three or four day uh, spot and stock bear hunt, which tells me there's a lot of bears. And I'd say, you know, anecdotally, everybody I talk to and, you know, Eagle, the Eagle County, Garfield County, Pitkin County stuff. There's a bear. You know, there's a lot of bears. Uh, the game will all tell you that too, because they they end up wasting a bunch of their time dealing with them in the summer. You know, uh, in town or or whatever. So I would say that if you have any interest um, in in that species, now now it's probably like a prime time to go uh, go on those hunts. Um, I've got a I've got a I've got a video on it that I, I hope is helpful to people but uh, helpful to people but the main thing about bear hunting is you you have to understand what they eat. If you don't understand like what they're eating at you know during the um, the uh, fall you're you like half the time you're just kind of pissing in the wind. You have to know what they're eating. You have to be sitting in you know high locations where you can see a lot of terrain that holds that type of feed and it varies a little bit year to year. Um, some years it's oak brush, some years it's berries. Um, so you have to understand, like, we know what that vegetation looks like and then have spots where you can go um, and see a lot of that type of vegetation. It can be, it just depends. I mean, some people view the hunt as boring because it's tons of the glassing. You just get a good spot in glass for six or seven hours a day, and that's kind of the routine, and then maybe move to another, uh, you know, high high quality spot to do that but um and some people enjoy that but that's the kind of kind of hunt um it typically is you know i don't know um how the fires will will affect things um uh you know ours we might have a little bump up just because a lot a lot of the canyon country and stuff holds a bunch of a bunch of uh, oak brush and so it might move the bears around but from what i've you know, all the research I've done and looking at things, bears move around way more than people think. Like, I don't know, well, I'm almost certain that a lot of the bears that we harvest in in our area, they don't necessarily hibernate even in the, in, you know, in the region maybe. They could hibernate 20 miles from here. So, um, I'm not sure that it's going to affect us a whole lot because their ranges, I think, are a lot bigger than people think. Um, but knowing what they eat and, you know, and then, at, like, physically looking at the plant and knowing, like, oh, like, like these acorns are substantially larger than the ones I saw in that other canyon, like, it's important to understand that when you're hunting them.
0: Good stuff. Um, let's talk about uh, mule deer in the state of Colorado, and we can talk about units and talk about all that, but in general with these late seasons in other words they've bumped the seasons back and the late dates in your opinion what 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 is going to happen what are you seeing as far as those those mule deer hunts and what's going to happen to the quality in your mind yeah so uh, so
1: in in this 5 year structure they put out i guess
0: it's been two years
1: ago now, this will be the latest set of dates. So fourth season is going to end on November 28th, and then uh, third season will end on the 19th of November, and second season will end on the 7th of November. Um, and then going forward, it will start walking back like a one day uh, a year, or whatever, uh, or roughly that, you know, Jay. Um, I think that, you know, seeing what we saw last year, and then I'm sure it will continue this year, is you're going to see, you're going to see age class just come out of the deer, particularly in the higher quota areas. I don't, you know, unless something totally magical happens, I don't, I don't see how anybody could argue that's not going to happen in Colorado. Um, I mean, if you look at like even the the like the fourth season and third season, we can talk about that more. I think the, the it's obvious that you know on the 28th of November. Big deer, even you know the oldest deer are really susceptible because they're like they're in the they're in the epicenter of stupidity. In the you know what I mean? They're deep in the rut. The 28th of November. I mean, I if you'll drive around sometimes on December 1st and deer will just be like standing in the road or walk. You know, we're talking like like the peak of it. You know, um, so we know that a lot of big deer will get killed because of that. But what's more concerning to me is, like, a second season that, you know, the 30th of October to the 7th of November, if you look at that, I mean, that, that, like, historically, we'll get a little rutting activity, you know, the 5th, 6th, 7th of November. Um, and the problem with that is that, like, second season, the way they put out quotas, I mean, they put out a ton of quotas for, for deer, you know, during that second season, because, Historically, it hasn't been that high high success. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a marginal tag, you know, four or five years ago because the dates would have been more like October twentieth. So even maybe before the deer were even moving, and for sure no writing activity. But now you're dumping a ton of tags in a period of time where they're starting to become susceptible and for sure moving around. Um, So I think uh, the the plus side of that is that you know the next couple years. Including this year, a probably good year for people to try to try to do sh- some hunting um, for deer. Uh, you will see the tag, the, the draw is going to get more difficult. We saw that a little bit in 2020, particularly in third third rifle. Uh, there was the the difficulty in drawing tags did increase for deer, so that's going to continue. I think this year is probably going to be maybe the apex of that. You're going to have a lot of people that that look to draw these late these late dates
0: also what you're talking about on that second season with the way it works is you can put in for a preference point as your uh, first choice and then put in as a second choice and, and potentially draw some of those second season tags on a year like this. Potentially you could get some ruddy gear right at the end of that hunt. Right. Whereas normally it's early enough that it doesn't have as much of an impact on older, more mature deer. But this year even some of those, um, you know, second choice tags, if you will, you could potentially have some mature deer falling because of the late dates.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and so I, on the, on the drawing that, so that's always been like second season, uh, deer tags in a lot of Colorado units has always been a tag that you could draw as a second choice or, in a, you know, like that's, pretty a good bet to build points and draw a tag you know i don't know jay like this year that might change like guys who put it in as a second choice they may be surprised and not draw it um because because everyone else
0: is doing it right
1: right right exactly so so people should probably be a little bit wary of that they might get lucky though um but at a bare minimum they they're because the quotas are so high in a lot of these units during second season they're going to be able to draw with Zero or one points in a a lot of units, and they're gonna have yeah they're gonna have prime dates. I mean, for us, I mean the difference between hunting deer on October nineteenth versus you know November fifth is night and day. I mean, one the weather and all that can help you a ton, but just the, the amount of deer that trickle out of the high country like over this period of time and then you know start to to rut a little bit in early November. It's like totally different. You know, it's like it's not even close to the same hunt. To be honest, it it, it kind of it's flabbergasting to me that they would not change the quotas.
0: Uh, right. Because so in other words, keep, keep the dates but lower the tag numbers. But right, and, and so this is where I want to talk to the Cliff Gray, the 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 step away from the microphone, and this is Cliff Gray personally talking. And you might not sure. want to do it, but I That's mean. That's they're – why – they say that they I'm, – I'm hearing people say that they want to – because of chronic wasting disease, they want to lower the amount of mature deer running around on the landscape. Is that what you're hearing as well? And Yeah, so th- – I mean, that, that is be- just a bunch of below- – I mean, goodness <laughs> gracious. Yeah, so – Let's they, hear your so, take.
1: Yeah, so this has always been like the – It used to be like a whispering. You would kind of hear like I don't know if it was like a if there was any uh, any validity to it or whatever. Um, Now they're pretty overt about it. So in a lot of these areas, the mentality is we're gonna we're gonna reduce we're gonna reduce age class in all the deer, particularly the bucks, because higher higher or older bucks. Have a higher pre- prevalence of COUD, um, and so that's that is absolutely their strategy. Um, I think there, there. I mean, there may be other things too in their in their 2 Like they just they don't want to reduce tag quotas on these later seasons because they they got you know there might be financial a financial component of it. I'm, I'm sure there is. You know, it's hard for them to just cut. You know, cut second season tags in half because of all the money it produces. So I'm sure you know. I have no proof of that, but I would guess that there's some budgetary things they run into too. But absolutely now uh, there uh, there's biologists in in the CPW that they they're overt about this the strategy to reduce age class in a hope to uh, slow down uh, CWD, which is, which is I don't know. I mean, I hate to say it, Jay, like, I've kind of, I've the CWD is such a weird disease, right? Like, I'm not saying it's is it, not. Is not it
0: legitimate? Because there's people that say that CWD is not, it, it's not even a real thing. And then there's, I don't know what to believe.
1: Yeah. And then well, I feel I mean, like
0: it's gotten politicized and it's like, is CWD in your mind? I mean, you're a Stanford graduate. Like, you're one of the smartest people I know. What are your thoughts on CWD?
1: Well, I mean, for sure that they're for sure they're finding this prion, right, in the in the deer and these prion diseases are weird because they do have a history of jumping to humans, right? Like mad cow or, or whatever. Now if you if you look at the history of it, usually when prion diseases jump to humans, it was like in pretty in fairly extreme situations, like, you know, they were grinding, you know, like humans were eating they were eating cattle, for instance, who had been fed, you know, generations of ground-up, you know, brains and stuff of cows that had mad cow disease, right? So it's kind of like this extreme case, right? But the stuff is weird. Like, it, you know, they, I mean, these prions basically, like, you'll develop, like, gaps in your brain. It's almost like a, something out of, like, a science fiction um, movie, you know? And then the other thing about them is it takes a really long time for animals to show symptoms, but, you know, these prion diseases, and diseases in humans, it actually takes even longer sometimes, for, for people to show it, so, you know, I, I have no idea, man, I don't think I'm, I have like the background to say it's fake, or, or not, or whatever, but, I think from a practical standpoint, it's in the deer, right, and, this is totally my opinion, Jay, and people probably call bullshit on it, but, if, if, in a lot of the western states that say they don't have it, the reason they don't have it is because they don't test. You know what I mean? And then the units in Colorado that say they don't have it, it's because they haven't tested in the last three or four years. You know what I mean? Gotcha. There's probably gotcha. there's probably some some analogies that are to this, to some aspects of the COVID thing, right? Like a, data data is really telling when you have it, but just because there's an absence of data doesn't mean that
0: it's that it's not existent.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I I mean, you know, parts of Wyoming that border Colorado and, you know, like a unit next to this unit in Colorado that claims they doesn't have it, they don't have it. I I don't believe that at all. I think it's prevalent everywhere. I think I think if you were really realistic about it, I think over the last decade probably millions of humans have have eaten CWD, uh, you know, meat from animals that are CWD positive. I don't think anybody could deny that, you know. Most likely, statistically, I probably at some point have eaten CWD positive meat, right? Um, I shouldn't say that CWD explains D positive. a lot about you, Cliff. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but it doesn't mean that I'm not cautious about it. Like, I'd say I'm fairly cautious about it, Jake, because it's kind of an unknown thing. You know what I mean? Like I, right. I mean, I pop a lot of heads off of deer and stuff when I'm caping them and all that, and I don't, I don't stick my face down in, next to spinal fluid and and get it on my, you know, like the extreme case, you know. Um, but I don't know. But the fact is, it's in the deer, and there's for sure no proof that kill that killing the age class of deer is going to is going to stop CWD there's no proof that it's going to slow it down there's and there's no there's actually no proof that we should slow it down I mean like what is what does that do for anybody you know what I mean right. it, it's it's already prevalent in the wild herds everywhere basically you know is is there there's actually some research that's you know I, I find so, Fairly compelling that we shouldn't slow it down because there's some animals that don't get it. You know, there's so there might be, you know, it might be inevitable that our deer herds are going to have to evolve their way through it, or all of our you know, deer indelk herds. I don't know. You know, we may just be prolonging it by by doing
0: all this stuff. You know. Um, Understood. But um, anyway, let's so yeah, talk I, you about. Know, uh, let's let's talk about um, some of the units around where you hunt. Uh, and what you're seeing as far as uh, quality, and what you expect with these late dates, it's probably going to be a bang up year for for guys going out there and shooting some big bucks, is it not?
1: Yeah, I think I think if guys kind of plan accordingly to to where they could go, you know, and it in like fourth season, you know, if you plan accordingly, they're going to be down real low. Might be on private in some areas, that sort of thing. Outside of that though, they're going to have they're going to have good opportunity at big deer because, like, there's really no, um, I mean, there's no big bucks that aren't with does by the 26th or 28th of November. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no like, holdout big deer, like, hanging up in the high country, you know, waiting. They're Wait. all with does. Yeah, they're all with does. You know what I mean? You could have these freak deer that, you know, they kind of get through the labyrinth for years because they hold up somewhere, but and then they show up. You know, they show up here in Eagle on you know December first. But all those deer are going to be susceptible to harvest. So I, I think some huge deer will get killed. But I, I think like this last year, a lot of quality, a lot of big deer already got killed. So I, I don't really don't you know I really don't know for sure. I, I think we've got a, probably a couple couple more good years of you know just thinning them out. Basically, I hate to even say that, Jay, but it's just the reality.
0: So, I mean, there's no doubt in your mind that, you know, four or five years from now, six years from now, the quality of bucks, the size, the, the antler size of bucks, there's no doubt in your mind, four or five years from now, the bucks, the quality, we'll be talking about a guy shot a 180 buck, like now we talk about someone shooting a 205, 210 buck. I mean, it, in your mind, the, the, the age class is going to get wiped pretty good, and and. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but four or five years from now, we will be talking about, hey, that's a heck of a buck, and it'll be a 185, 190-type buck. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I would guess that's going to be the case. Um, you know, there could be some
1: crazy variable that I don't understand, Jay, but I don't see, even, even in, like, trophy units, I don't see how there's not going to be a total wipeout of big deer. Um because, right. like, let's take let's take forty four for instance, right? Like, a lot of these deer, uh, you, or, I mean, all of these counties. Like, if you look at Boone and Crockett books and stuff, there's no other counties that compare to like Pitkin, Garfield, and Eagle County. Well, now all all of those populations of deer are susceptible. I mean, they're basically susceptible to guys that are elk hunting during second season. They happen to have a deer tag, and there's just of, you know these bucks are going to get killed because they're moving around they may even be thinking about does you know basically what w- so second third guys,
0: fourth season are all going to be prime pickings whereas a lot of times second third it's still too early and fourth is really but they've limited the number of fourth season what you're saying is because of the late dates second third and fourth now there's a lot of deer that are susceptible to getting shot yeah yeah, and they will get shot,
1: and, and I don't see mathematically how Colorado is going to maintain it's. it's uh, you know, it's um, it's big deer type of draw. You know, I think that's a reality, and unfortunately, um, but I, you know, I, you know, not to again like jump back in the political thing. I don't know that the CPW cares,
0: right? You know, you,
1: you know, so um, and. Uh, well- specifically
0: like the units right there around your house, um, and, and your, you know, your outfitting permit, I mean, you've got all those units, you know, you talk about 44, it's one of the most famous, you know, Colorado units, but what are some of the units right around, um, your, your place there, and, and what do you, you know?
1: Yeah, so, so the, like, um, like, 44 is easy to hunt, right? Like in the late season, you drive around most of it. You can see deer, rutting in the sagebrush, all that. And then to the north of that, on the other side of the road, you've got the same genetics, but you've got 35, 36, and these are units. So unit 35, 36, you've got 25, which is where I do a lot of my hunting. You've got 34 next to it, which is kind of like the canyon. And then north of me, you've got 26. And so you've got kind of the same genetics in all that big band from 36 all the way over to 34, um, but you've got way more hunting pressure over there, and then you have accessibility, right? So, the limited, you know, there's limited accessibility um, in, in those units. So those units have always been, you know, I think particularly like 36 and 35 have always been known for having, you know, pretty good tag opportunity, but, you know, some huge deer came out of that stuff because they were coming out of remote remote areas, and then people wouldn't be able to catch them because it's not easy to hunt the whole unit. And then, like, my unit 25, I mean, before the deer move really hard or, or in the rut, it's really hard to get to them, you know, and they're in a really dispersed area. Um, and so that, that whole area has kind of been known for that, like, tag opportunity, but... Every once in a while, somebody will turn up just to you know kill a huge deer um, out of that out of that stuff. Um, so that's kind of the lay of the units here. Um, and then when you go you know over to the Pitkin side, like forty three and in those areas, you know, the, kind of the same dynamic as this north of Highway seventy stuff. You know, more tag opportunity, but you had to work for it. The, you know, the problem is at the late days is like that whole working for it thing, kind of. It, and I'm not saying people aren't going work you know you know work you know work to get their deer, but there's gonna be a lot more deer harvested that are just kind of lucky, you know what I mean, like on the seventh of November, just deer trickling out of the high country and they walk in front of basically an elk hunter who's got a opportunity ish deer tag, you know
0: yeah, understood um, if you had to say. The three best units for quality in Colorado, what what would they be for for big deer? Uh, for deer. Uh, you know, I, I I probably
1: I'm probably not the most informed on all the units, uh, Jay, like that would that would that would qualify for that. I mean I I think I I mean if if you weren't talking about like draws, I think I think forty-four is still good in terms of quality. Like the percentage of deer that come out of the fourth season that are, you know, bigger than one eighty-five. I think it's still good. Um, you know, all the the north of Highway seventy units I mentioned they're not they're not going to be in the ballpark of like the best the best units in in Colorado. Um, so I. Yeah, I'm I, that's all I'm I'm not gonna say any more on that right, 'cause I'm not I'm not informed enough. A lot of guys are gonna argue some of the gun in units. Um but I I, I don't know. I mean peop people gotta understand that like the the number of big deer coming out of Colorado, they're more dispersed than people think. You know what I mean? Like a couple two hundred inch deer are gonna come out of forty four or something, maybe in a decent year now. It's gonna you know, it's not like it used to be. But then the rest of them are kind of come out of a lot of, like, the, you know, the the top ten deer in Colorado are going to come out of unknown units. Or, like, units that are, you know, that are easier to draw and, and guys figure
0: it out in them. Um, so, some are units that are, that are kind of off the radar but have private land and maybe a buck, you know, has slipped through and gotten to six or seven years old and, you know, boom, he gets shot. And, you know, people are like, oh, that unit's phenomenal. Well maybe not maybe it's just a deer that you know it's hid for a while and you know he got shot and and you know he's been hiding on private ground or sure what have you um
1: and i think the other thing is people are going to see particularly uh with this the whole the management stuff going on and all the public land units they're going to see this continued improvement or relative improvement of the eastern plains you know, the eastern plains of Colorado for the last four or five years has started to produce a bunch of huge deer. But it's all private land and draws and preference points don't matter.
0: Right. All right, let's talk about elk. Um, you know, at Flat Tops Wilderness Guides there, you run the operation where you do drop camps, you do guided hunts, um, you know, right there in the Flat Tops, Unit 25. What's going on with your elk herd, um, right there? Yeah, so we actually had a, a pretty
1: exceptional elk late elk season, like third and fourth season this last year. We had you know just kind of ideal conditions. Um, you know, I, I I would love to see more elk, but you know, all of our hunters did well and stuff. So when the conditions are good, the wilderness. Units you know, they still got elk in them, um, so I'm kind of hoping that this year, particularly with the later later dates, we still we still have that. Um, you know, kind of the the elk are there's not like a ton of areas in Colorado where where I hear people saying they're seeing more and more elk. You know, Jay, um, but I'm actually and again it's anecdotal, but I haven't seen as much of a decline in our area as I kind of was thinking we would have because I just I I noticed. How, the, how few calves there were, um, you know, maybe some of the, you know, us and then a lot of the other people in the region, you know, really getting into this bear the bear deal. Um, maybe that's actually paying off. I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm I'm hopeful, you know, that that is that is the case. Um, so I I think this year I don't there's no reason to be fearful of it. The winter's been easy here. I, I think the only thing that people should Probably consider for fall is that for unfortunately, we're probably going to have a, a similar fire situation that we did last year, just given the lack of snowpack there is right now. Um, maybe we'll get a bunch of moisture between now and now and spring and summer and all that. but if it stays kind of how it is, we're going to have a dry a dry late summer, and I'm sure people have to deal with the fire thing. So people should keep that in mind, but from a wildlife perspective, think it's been pretty easy for elk and deer. So I, I don't think people should expect anything major uh majorly different on that front.
0: Your hunts, um so you do archery hunts and then first rifle, you do all of the elk hunts. So are you thinking that these later dates that you know your third and fourth seasons actually because of colder temps, snow, that type of thing you're actually probably if you can get some weather and stuff that actually makes your late hunts much better than say if we have warm falls that's where it can be really really tough for elk hunters in Colorado and especially in your area as well right right I mean we're probably a
1: little bit more biased that way because we have so much elevation grade in our units we go all the way up to the top all the way down to you know below 7,000 feet type of stuff Um, units that don't have as much elevation grade might be a little less susceptible to that. Uh, Well, I guess some of them that are real winter range, they might even be more susceptible to it, but where they've got resident elk, um, you know, they may not matter as much, but for us, it matters a ton. It's always been like that, Jay, like in these these mountain units, like later dates, more snow, all of that is always better for elk hunting, Um, for us. So, I the later dates should benefit us on both species. Um, I think probably probably just as you know, the problem is like we can even have later dates and still have dry weather, but if it's just the average you know, the average winter, our elk hunting should bump up just just as much as the deer hunting, if not more, just because of their dates. Um the only problem is is it gets miserable. You know what I mean. <laughs> the other thing people don't anticipate is just how freaking cold it is on, you know, on Thanksgiving here. Sometimes it can be like, be some of the coldest weeks of the year, even you know. Um, so that's something for people to consider. Is it? It, it probably will be better, but it's going to be also a little bit more more trying on the, on the
0: on that front. So. Um, but typically you just, when you've got out. really cold temperatures i mean that plays right into elk being up and having to feed correct i mean so you know miserable conditions and and you know literally freezing your butt off plays well if you're an elk hunter because the elk have to feed more in order to to burn that energy and and you know they eat more food right
1: yeah, so to me, that's one of the biggest ones, uh, Jay, and I. And I always play this one up uh, maybe more than other people. To me, the, the biggest variable is how cold it is. How cold, in, in in particular, how cold the nights are getting. The colder the nights are getting, the the more time they spend out where they're susceptible. Like I mean, our I mean our elk herds up in the flat tops, or you know, it, for anybody that doesn't know. All these wilderness units in Colorado are pretty much managed the same, which from a CPW or yeah CPW standpoint means they get hunted, like they get the crap hunted out of them, period. Like these elk get hunted between all the private land stuff and then all the early seasons and all of that. I mean, a lot of these elk are getting hunted for five months straight and not just by like a few guys, like, like a lot of people. So they're smart. And so the only thing that's going to get them – where they're susceptible is if they have to eat. Um, And that just means they're going to be less nocturnal. They're going to be out in the open more often, easier to find via glassing. All those sort of things are going to benefit you. But the other thing to me is it's kind of a time thing. Like if it's dry and warm, you know, if you really think about, like, how much you're actually hunting a day, you might only be hunting effectively like an hour and Half a day or an hour, you know, two hours a day, because that's really the only time you're going to kill. You're going to kill elk when it's mis- when it's real tough conditions. Well, if you get really first hour and through, last hour, yeah, exactly, and that's really yeah. I mean, guys, you know, guys get lucky. You can glass it. There's all these like low, uh, you know, you know, low probability things you can do, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. There's always a chance. But if you look at like the effective uh, hours that you spend out there, you know it's really only a couple hours. Well, if you get in to really cold temperatures, all of a sudden, you know you can you're fitting in six hours of effective time, you know, um, sure. instead of uh, a day instead of two, and that makes a big. I mean, a five day. I mean, you basically you know one day is as effective as five days, um, and so that's that's how I think about it, and it does it makes a big It makes a big difference. I mean, you know, a lot, if it's, I mean, I'll admit to this, Jay, like if it's crazy cold, like it was negative 15 degrees at night or worse, uh, a lot of times I won't, I won't ride it. When I'm guiding in those late seasons, I won't ride out until it's light. And the reason is I don't feel like I'm giving that much up. The animals are still going to be up and we're going to hunt all day long if it's that cold. Um, And, you know, riding when it's negative 20 can be kind of rough um so that just is an example
0: yeah for sure um i want to ask you what's going on with the wolf the wolf thing in in colorado and, and bringing the wolves back and literally what you're you're kind of on the ground there you live there what what's happening yeah so
1: it's uh yeah it's hard for me to not be like uh I'm, I, I guess, like, flabbergasted is the only, the only way to to respond to it. Um, at the same time, I was actually fairly surprised how close the vote was. Um, and if, you know, I, I, everybody knows this. I'm sure all your listeners understand this. But if you look at, like, a county map of who voted for this deal and then who's going to have to deal with it, it's completely inversely correlated right so everybody that doesn't have to deal with the wolves they have voted for them everybody that has to deal with them voted against them you know so but I guess that's just you know how how it works so we're gonna have to deal with them I mean I was told in one thing has shifted recently on it is I was kind of you know just in the 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 conversations that I had about it with kind of people in the know was that it was, you know, it's probably going to be pushed towards the end of this, you know, this period of the deadline of of getting them, getting them uh, transplanted here, which was like 2023. Well, I've heard recently that there's been a fair amount of push, even from the governor himself, to get them in as soon as possible. So um, I think that we're probably going to deal with transplants of them, you know, maybe in the next you know, within the next eighteen months, I think it's probably reasonable to think about. Um,
0: Where are they going to put them first?
1: So I, you know, I, I've heard lots of different things, and because I'm not like within within the state agency, I, I don't have informed uh, you know knowledge on it. But I would guess it's going to be wilderness areas, right? So my best guess is it's going to be the San Juan's or the Flat Tops. You know, or it could be it could be on tribal land that that is willing to accommodate them. Um, which a lot of the tribal land is, you know, on winter range. But if it's adjacent to a wilderness area, they're going to go from the tribal land immediately into the you know it's the same thing. So I'm thinking like almost certainly the big wilderness areas are going to be the most likely places. Um, and that's I, I have been told that from fairly informed people and then I would guess that um it'll be interesting to see you know what happens once they're here Jay because they're going to move immediately you know to where there's you know wherever they feel like they they they're more comfortable and there's more game so where they put them well, maybe wait a minute kind of no, Cliff.
0: wait a minute wait a minute no because I saw something that said that they're going to put them and where they put them they're going to stay because they can strategically put <laughs> them they can strategically put them, and that's where they're going to stay. That is that not true? <laughs> yeah, no, man. Yeah. <laughs> I wish that
1: was the case, but no, it's going to be... We'd angel. release them people, in Denver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think people understand, like... I mean, I, I've, I've spent a lot of time in, like, you know, real wolf country in British Columbia and stuff, and people have no idea how much more remote that is. You know, like, I'm sitting here in Eagle... And it's basically, it's not that remote. You know what I mean, Jay? Like, we, you know, we have a Costco, for God's sake. You know, like, <laughs> the, the, these, these wolves, I mean, they're, they're going to put these wolves where they're in Eagle, the first winter, they put them in. Because they're right. not staying in someone's out. backyard. Yeah, literally in some, I mean, right now I can look out my window and there's elk sitting in these subdivisions. That's exactly where the wolves are going to be. They can't. They, you know, why would they? They're not right, staying there an the
0: right.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you're gonna have like immediate uh, conflict. It's just gonna be one of these quagmires where we spend a bunch of money on it, um, and it's a pain in the ass. And you know, we just we just deal with it. <laughs> I don't know
0: <laughs> what else
1: to say, man. The the biggest, you know, the saddest thing is gonna be is the like the moose. Like well, I, I should say that, that in in our units, they're they're finally putting in some moose tags in uh, unit twenty five and twenty six, um, and I would encourage anybody to apply for them because they'll be real fun hunts, and we'd love to help somebody on them. Um, but these moose are going to get wiped out by by the wolves. The moose are so dumb here, you know, and, and they and they because they're not afraid of anything, you know. They're big enough; so they just laugh at coyotes and black bears, you know. Um, but the wolves are gonna kill they're gonna decimate them, you know. Um so uh it'll that that to me that's that's gonna be like one of the saddest things. These moose have been kicking butt in Colorado and we've all of a sudden started to have a bunch of opportunity for people and that's gonna that's gonna vanish. Um but some of the stuff, man, you gotta have a sense of humor about it or you'd
0: go crazy, you know. I don't I don't know <laughs> what to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um cliff you've been doing um i know we talked on the last podcast uh you're doing the spring and, and and summer you're doing uh hunting seminars you're doing you know kind of teaching guys how to hunt more effectively and teaching them you know tactics and different things talk a little bit about that and if you have any openings um how people can read more about it what openings you have et cetera.
1: yeah yeah so um The best place to, you know, kind of get an idea of what we're covering in these seminars is just go to truehunts.com, and I've got the the seminars on there in an example kind of syllabus to kind of walk you through what we're going to cover. And right now, I've got a couple spots um, open on May 14th, 15th, 16th is one seminar, and then May 28th, 29th, and 30th, and then, um, and those are more like the on the website, you'll see them specified as, like, western kind of beginner hunting seminars. But there's a, I'd say, like a spread of um, experience amongst the guys coming. You know, I'd say um, there's people who haven't hunted at all, and there's people that have gone on four or five hunts. So there's a spread of experience in there on, on those two dates. And then on June 4th, 5th, and 6th, I've actually got I've got three guys signed up right now. To specifically do like more of a backpack hunting, um, a little bit more like I dare say like advanced, but more kind of just focused on the backpack wilderness hunting. And so I've got a couple spots there that I'd love to have um, a couple more, a couple more guys uh, come to. So um, if you're interested, they can they can message me and um, I'd love to set them up because I'd love to get those filled up. We'll have we'll have a good time. And a matter of fact, I've kind of been thinking about it a lot lately because. I know you're not you haven't been here in a while, Jay, but it's like early spring here. Like today it's north of fifty degrees in eagle. So I'm like I'm kinda in the mode to, to start on the spring summertime stuff. So if anybody's interested, they can give me
0: a call and I can get more info. Yeah, you know, you do such a good job on your Instagram and your YouTube channel with so much of the information and, you know, I know you get a lot of feedback from people and a lot of questions and you know, trying to help people become better um you know, in creating those, what was your thought as far as it, it does? It just come strictly from a point of view of you know that there is a need for people to really soak up and want to learn to get better, and and is that what you know kind of made you do these seminars?
1: Yeah, so it, it's it's interesting, Jay, because uh, one, I have to fault myself for not being—I was churning out so many videos, and then I got kind of sidetracked with some <laughs> winter projects. But I'm getting back on it now. Um, it's interesting, and I'm sure you see this too. Um, you know, you can put up content that's like uh, I don't know, you know, like a trail cam picture of a big bull or something like that, or bulls fighting or something, and you will get a lot of like likes on Instagram. But at least for me, I don't get like a lot of interaction, right? But I can put up a video that is something that seems kind of like the video I mentioned earlier, like, you know, what I look for in terms of, you know, feed sources when hunting bears, and it's kind of like a dorky topic, and it won't get that much, like, volume of people looking at it, like, you know, it gets a few thousand people watch the video or whatever, but I'll get 20 emails related to that email, or I'll get 20 direct messages related to that, uh, that, that video or whatever, it tells me that, like, the pe- it might not be a ton of people watching it, but the people that are, they're, like, really excited about it. So I, like, I, I, I don't mind doing that type of content because I end up with, like, a lot of personal interaction with people through it. And most of the people are just excited about trying to get in, get into hunting. And we've talked about it before, but hunting, it's not, like, an easy hobby to pick up if, you're, if your father or, or mother or whatever was not into it when you were a kid. It's like it's got an ex- kind of an extreme learning curve um for something to me that is is so kind of i shouldn't say s- second nature but kind of inherent to being a person is a is a want to go hunting um but there's a bunch of barriers to to knowledge and all of that on it for whatever reason so that's why I've been doing that and you you i know you you're kind of you're a pro at that stuff so so i uh I think probably you, you might share some of the same thoughts, I, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, some things that, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, some things that you and I might think are elementary are some of the things that you get the most feedback on, and I think that just goes to show that, you know, it may not get the masses of people's interest, you know, pique their interest, but the quality of, of, of interaction that you get with people wanting to learn and that's what's been so good about my podcast from my perspective is you know things that we cover that maybe i don't think are a big deal and i get you know 100 emails on it and it's like wow i didn't even think about talking about that was even going to start strike any interest but you know people are very interested in it it was very intriguing so I do know that people have a huge um, propensity to really want to learn and, and, you know, be informed and be educated. So, um, you know, if if you're listening and you haven't checked out Cliff's stuff, definitely go check him out on his um, Instagram and on his YouTube channel for sure. And, um, you know, to be able to go and and be hands-on and and be right there with Cliff in these seminars, you know, two-, three-, four-day seminars, uh, different structures and what, you know, different topics. Um, I know people are going to love it. I know it's something that, you know, is going to be very, very popular and, um, I'm excited to, uh, to get the feedback from. I know several guys, um, that have messaged me that, that heard about it before are going to go and have signed up. So, um, Cliff, it's always great having you on the podcast. Um, you've been a good friend of the podcast and, You always, uh, you know, keep it real. I appreciate that. I want to, before we break here, I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com. My friend Cody Nelson, the Optics Authority, the Glassing Guru. If you guys have any binoculars, uh, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, tripods, anything to do with glassing, give Cody a call. Uh, uh, 702 847 8747. That's extension two. Uh, you can also text or call him on his cell phone. He loves getting texts, 602-399-3699. Uh, also, guys, it's application season. Uh, the Go Hunt Insider is the best tool to be able to research draw odds. Uh, go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott. You can sign up for the Go Hunt Insider. Uh, I also want to thank kuyu.com, uh, kuyu. Uh, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, that's the gear that I wear on uh, all of my hunts. Uh, Kuyu is a direct-to-consumer uh, company, and they sell all their gear at the website, kuyu.com, go check them out. Phonescope.com, uh, use the J. Scott 21 promo code, that's going to save you 10%. Uh, Phonescope, that's the adapter that I use, uh, able to adapt my iPhone to my binoculars and my spotting scope take a great video and pictures and then apex ammunition during the spring uh, apex ammunition is a sponsor go to apex munition that's the home of the tss the tungsten super shot uh, tss so we're shooting nine shots so we're going down for, to mexico we'll shoot close to 100 gould's turkeys with that nine shot you got a much denser pattern uh, using tungsten uh, and, uh, knocks them right off their feet. So go to apexmunition.com, check it out. Cliff, um, I want to give you a chance again to let the listeners know where they can find you, where they can, uh, you know, contact you. And thanks again for coming on the podcast. But would you, uh, I'll also link it up in the show notes? Um, give your website, Instagram, whatever it may be. Yeah, sure. No, thanks again for having me, Jay. And so
1: the best uh, bet for people is the website is for the all the f- flat tops, outfitting, and that sort of thing is ftguides.com, and it'll take you there. And then the hunting seminars are at truehunts.com. And then my Instagram is probably the best, uh, my personal Instagram, if you want to get a hold of me, and that's cliff, C-L-I-F-F-G-R-Y. And then we've got one for the Flat Tops Wilderness Guides, too. So all that is linked in there. But thanks for having me, Jay. It was good chatting.
0: Yeah, for sure, buddy. And Cliff Gray on Instagram, I assume Cliff, the full Gray, G R A Y, was (laughs) taken, so you just shortened it to G R Y? I don't even know. I I don't know, man. Either that or or it was a typo. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. But, uh, I haven't even attempted to see what, uh, hopefully, hopefully Cliff Gray is something that's appropriate. But, uh, (laughs) but now go to Cliff G-R-Y and you'll, that, that's actually me. So, but, uh, but yeah,
0: um, and people are welcome to
1: reach out about any of this stuff.
0: Awesome, buddy. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, We'll be chatting at you down the road, and I'll look you up when I get to Colorado later this summer, okay?
1: Okay. Sounds good, man. Thank you.